You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. One big thing that happened this week, that, or I don't even know if it's a big thing. It's not a big thing to me, but it's a big thing to people that love numbers. The Pakoda projections came out. The Zips projections came out I, just recently. I don't like these. Okay, and I get that. And we got Chris Zwick on from Yahoo Sports a little bit later on here in this program. He used to work for Fangraphs. He works for Yahoo Sports. He loves numbers. So I'm going to kind of ask him a little bit. We're not going to take a deep dive into him because sure. like, like you... I don't think it's worth it. No. And and here's my reasoning behind it. Let's just take a look. And I'm not I'm not going to completely discredit the Pakoda rankings that came out. But you're going to have plenty of people talking about it this week, and I just think they're putting too much time and effort into it. Last year, Pakoda comes out, and this is what I mean they use all these different projections to try to figure out like how many wins a team's going to get. And they'll put out a graph that'll kind of look like a little hill, like a bell curve. And then you kind of look at the bell curve and you go, okay, the probability of wins is this. So the White Sox probability of wins is 83. Vegas has them at 84 and a half as of this morning. So I saw an over-under set at 84.5. Right, that's 84 and a half. Yeah, so, okay. right. You get I, that? I get, I get that. I just want to make sure. Vegas comes up with their number, however they come up with it. And I probably trust them because mm-hmm. there's so much money on the line. Of course. Over Pakoda and however they're going through their, their numbers. But either way, I came up with something similar. Okay, fine. Let's look at 2019, though. Sure. Let's look at Pakoda in 2019 and just give you an idea of how much stock you could put into these numbers. In the AL East, Yankees, Red Sox, Rays, Blue Jays, Orioles. Those were going to be the standings, according to Pakoda, with the Yankees and Red Sox with 90-plus wins. In actuality, what ends up happening is that the Yankees get 103 wins. Hmm. That's 13 more wins than what this thing projected. And the Rays come in second place with 96, 10 wins better than what Pakoda said. And the Rays make the playoffs. The Red Sox fall well short with 84 wins and do not make the playoffs. In the American League Central last year, Pakoda projects the Indians to win the division with 96 wins, the Twins going 81 and 81. Wow. The Twins end up going 101 and 61. 20 games higher. Right. The Indians came close to their thing. They had 93 wins instead of 96. The White Sox actually came close. They had them at 70. Sox got 72. They did have the Royals at 71. They ended up with 59 wins last year. So that's a big difference. Pakoda, kind of right. Eh, kind of wrong. In the AL West, it isn't hard for anybody. I don't need Pakoda to tell you that in 2019, the, the Astros, Astros were going to win the division. But the interesting thing was that the Angels were picked to come in second at 81 and 81. They went 72 and 90 and came in fourth. I'm just giving you facts here. You're going to have people are going to scream like, oh, you know, you're just trying to discount these things. Look, numbers are great. I love numbers. I play fantasy baseball. But if you look at the standings that are spit out by these people, by this system, and you put stock in them like, well, now we don't even need to play the games. You're crazy. A lot of times, too, you can't. These things don't factor in things like X factors, like injuries. 
They don't factor in if somebody all of a sudden has a breakout year. Um, they don't factor in youth. They don't That's, factor they, in youth. I, I want to make this point. I want to make this point right now. It doesn't factor in youth. The Twins were a young team on the cusp who looked like they had a lot of talent, and they way outperformed what they were supposed to do. Another example are the Braves. A Braves, a young team. We've been hearing about the Braves for years coming along, right? Last year projected with 84 wins only. They had 97 wins and won their division. Not the Mets, who are projected to have 89 wins. Not the Nationals, Nationals who are also right. projected to tie the Mets at the top of that. The Braves passed them both. I don't think it takes into account young teams. And I think that that's what happens when you project stats. When you're projecting stats, it's very hard to sit there and say a guy is going to take a major leap. Did anybody who projected stats last year see Yohan Moncada do what he was going to do? Did anybody who projected stats last year see, see Lucas, Tim Anderson do Lucas, what he was going to do? Or Lucas Giolito. Or Lucas yeah. Giolito. And, and you know what? It's hard when a guy has one good year for them to say, well, it's going to continue too. Because you don't want to be out on a limb. When, you, when you're analyzing these stats, when, when people are sitting down and they're trying to figure out and project people, you'll find that if a guy has never had a big year, or has just is coming off of one good year, but has a few bad ones. The numbers will they'll constantly project the guy to go low. Perfect example. I don't pay for Pakoda. I only get whatever gets tweeted out because I don't think it's worth it. Mm -hmm. That's just my own personal thing. I, I I just don't think it's worth it. Let's play the games, okay? There there's something to be said for analyzing stats. I'm a big guy. I take deep dives in the individual players. I play fantasy baseball in a dynasty league setting. There's a reason why I do so well in it. I really love to sit down and go through this stuff. But I also understand that there's X factors, like you said. Lucas Giolito last year was one of the top pitchers in my fantasy league. He was a top 20 pitcher. Okay. Okay. He's, he's leading anybody's rotation that he's in the fantasy league. He's projected to have a big fall off this year by CBS Sports. You want to yeah, know why? I did, I did see that. Do you want to know why he's expected to do that? No. Because why? numbers. Well, I don't know why. Tell me why. Well, I, I think that the reason is because when you have somebody who has to stake their reputation and stake their predictability and, and, and they have to do, it's hard for them. It's hard for the numbers to translate to that guy is going to continue his upward trajectory. There's always, I think he's going to take a step back. And if he doesn't, you're pleasantly surprised. But it's how, people don't like to stick their necks out. I think Giolito is going to be just fine. Because guess what? It wasn't because there was some hidden number that indicated he was a good pitcher on the cusp of breaking out. It was because he, in the offseason, made a major adjustment to his delivery and became a better pitcher. You have no idea who walks in the spring training this year and did something in the offseason or made some sort of an adjustment where you could take all the numbers and all the projections and throw them right out the window. Giancarlo Stanton, for years... Had a very difficult time. He was an easy strikeout. You could pitch to him outside. The batting coach we have right now, Frank Mankino, closes his stance. And he has an incredible year, over 50 home runs, and becomes like a, a, the most sought-after guy. The Yankees couldn't wait to go get him off the Marlins. Right. Remember that a couple yeah. years ago? Yeah, yeah. Because there was an adjustment. Nothing in his numbers suggested he was going to do that. Nothing suggested what Tim Anderson was going to do that last year. Did anybody see that coming? No. Nobody saw that coming. No, I mean the guy was the guy was 240, 260. Right. I mean he wasn't Nobody nobody three, knows you know, what to, that's going to do. To have to have a 3 to have a 320 330 average or whatever it was at the end of the year. Like I'm all for numbers. I I mean I, I look, it's fun. It's fun to sit down and project what a guy can do. 
to sit there and say, okay, well, this guy's going to be good. This guy's going to be bad. I, I believe in this guy because of X, Y, and Z. But I don't think that you could sit there and say, okay, well, Pakoda said it or Zip said it or my fantasy baseball site said it, so it's going to be true. Because we, I think we all know that that isn't... Look, they're going to be more right than wrong. They right. predicted, no. they predicted <laughs> several division champions. They were no-brainers. We all knew the Astros <laughs> were going to be the best, right? Right. I don't think any... I felt like the Yankees were the best team last year going into 2019 after their 2018. Pakoda may have spit out a number, but I didn't need that for me to know that they were the best team. I don't think I need them to know that the Sox will be a competitive team, but will need something special to happen to get by the Twins and the Indians. Like they're likely a third place team, possibly second place. But if all of a sudden certain things click, if guys don't fall off the way that these numbers suggest that they will, and they actually are on an upward trajectory still because they're young, they're the Braves. A young team that the stats don't see coming. They're the twins of last year, a young team that the stats don't see coming. So they're predicting fall-offs for all three of the above, Anderson, Mancata, and Giolito? Um, Anderson, I think, is easy to predict. I'm going to ask Wick about that in a second because I'm really curious about what he thinks about him. Because he was the AL batting champ. Well, right. He's like not okay, so he's like, not gonna be he's yeah. not gonna be the he's You think not he's gonna, gonna win that the... two years in a row? I mean, that's pretty unlikely. Right? No. I mean, no. I know he believes it. <laughs> he be- <laughs> I'm sure right. he's walking around with a t shirt already that says back to back or something. I mean, the man's brash and I love him. Yeah, for the it. guy the guy's got some the guy's got some moxie. Right. The guy's got mojo. Right. You know? I mean, the moment they came out with that change the game t shirt, he bought twelve of them. Well, and that's the other thing, too, that, you know, when it comes to X factors that a, uh, something like Pakoda can't uh, predict is just your emotional, your emotional state. I mean, maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong here, but 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 baseball, baseball is so much more of a mental thing than the other sports, don't you think? I mean, doesn't your mental state have just so much to do? Because just one little thing can be out of sync in your brain, and all of a sudden you have a a great year turn into an okay year or an okay year turn into a disastrous year. I mean, we've seen that. And, and you know, we've seen uh, when we talked about uh, Renneria last week calling out um, Lopez – Everything that he was calling him out on was just the fact that his head wasn't in the game. You could have put... There were a lot of people who projected that Lopez was going to be your your number one in 2019, not Giolito, based off of numbers. He he looked great numbers-wise. When we were in this position a year ago... And some, if somebody who sat there and said, you got to put money down on which one's going to be better, you would have said Lopez yeah, over it's gonna Giolito. Be, it's going to be Lopez. Right? We were laughing about Giolito like he might not even make it the year. Right. Because we didn't know that he had made an adjustment. Right? We had no clue. We didn't know anything about his mental state or that. now you see that he's a competitor and you learn more about him and yeah. you see that he's willing to make those changes. That's a guy who's going to go far in Major League Baseball. He's shown why he's willing to do that. You know, everybody always falls and back. When you, and when you listen to him talk, Chris, when you listen to him talk, you could you could just tell that Giolito, that is, something has clicked up there. Like he's got that. He's got that mojo now that he didn't have before. Oh, and I think he thrives with a vet like Dallas Keuchel next to him. But I want to get to this point here. Listen to this. Okay, go for it. It formed in my brain when you were talking about this. 
everybody always talks about these stats. Okay, now remember, when we were younger, we were kids, all these advanced metrics, all this stuff, you couldn't even have imagined it. No. Bill James would write his book, and my dad had it in the downstairs bathroom. And I would read the Bill James book because he would get it every year. And it would be like a fun thing, but you'd be like, I don't know, Bill James sometimes gets it right. And and you kind of go through his stats and his almanac and everything like that, and it was interesting. But not until the Moneyball thing, the Billy Bean thing. And that was developed. And remember, the book wasn't written by Billy Bean. It was written by an author who was following Billy Bean and just saw this happening and wrote about it. I'm sure Billy Bean did not want it out there that he was picking Kenny Williams' pocket because he wanted to keep picking his pocket. But then a book got written That's about so it, and everybody awesome. started to figure it out. That is so awesome. But if you go back and read the book, he was picking Kenny Williams's pocket and laughing about it. The thing about it is, Billy Bean was a high prospect in which the numbers that he used would have predicted that he would have been a good player. But he had a mental block that he admits that he had. Okay, He had an issue with the stress of being up at the plate, performing at a high level. He got on himself too much, and he was a head case. Sabermetrics was not meant to predict a guy's emotions or if he was going to be better. Sabermetrics was Billy Bean's way of minimizing risk. If you read the book, it was meant to minimize risk, saying at worst case, this guy will be this. At average, this guy will be this. But it was never meant to predict breakouts. When it works, you sit there and go, see, we had it. We knew this was going to be a breakout. Yeah, but again, somebody somebody explained that to the teams that were predicted to be first place teams last year and ended up playing terrible. Right. You know, who got all excited about their Pakoda stats. So, look, breakouts, you could try to predict them. And look, I'm going to sit there with my fantasy baseball team and you could look at you can look at the White Sox this year. It's really impressive. Last year, we didn't have a top five, top six catcher in fantasy baseball. CBS Sports is Yasmani Grandel, ranked sixth. Jose Abreu is ranked as their fourth best first baseman right now. Really? Under, under a standard point system. All right? We, we don't have a second baseman that's ranked up there. Moncada is ranked as the 10th best third baseman under a standard point system. He wouldn't have even come near that. Wait, wait. Going into this year? Going into this year. That is crazy. He's projected by CBS Sports to be the 10th best. And it's a standard point system. I'm not talking rotisserie. I'm talking like singles a point, home runs four points. You know, if a guy's got a good OPS, he's going to do well. Strikeouts hurt you. Just a basic standard point system in fantasy. And when I look it up, that's where that's where he sits in their points projections wow, that's, as of today. I don't. Wow. Okay. Okay. Anderson's outside of the top 10. They see a drop-off, but they still see him hitting 300. And the best outfielder on the team is, of course, Aloy Jimenez, who they put around names like Max Kepler, Nick Castellanos, J.D. Martinez, Austin Meadows, Ronald Acuna. They got him sitting right in the middle of those names. Okay. He's probably not an outfield one. He's an outfield two. They project him to hit 33 home runs. I look at that, and I remember last year, the Sox had nobody that was ranked up real high in fantasy. No. You know? And now, all of a sudden, they have a bunch of players that are viable guys that you would go out and you would draft early on in rounds. And they're a young team. And there's excitement. So, you know what? Whenever I sit there and I tell people, I expect them to win 85 games. Because that's what my prediction has been now for a while. You've been saying about the same thing. Anywhere 83, 85. I don't know where it's, you're it's at. Gonna be, yeah, it's going to be... It's going to be above five... It, it should be above 500, right? but it should still be below 90. But 
So I'm saying I'm, that because I don't want to sound like an idiot. You see, what I hope for, what I believe is possible, is a 90-win season and a playoff berth. Yes. I, I not only am rooting for that, but I believe it to be possible. A neighborhood bar, a Southside tradition, your home base for Sox viewing parties. Cork and Carry at the Park, 3258 South Princeton Avenue, where they have an incredible menu that includes award-winning burgers, Chicago favorites, wings, beef, pulled pork, mac and cheese, salads, wraps, nachos, and an incredible environment. When I'm getting a drink pregame or postgame, it's over at Cork and Carry at the park. And in case you didn't know, you can rent the entire bar out for events. That applies not only to Cork and Carry at the park, but you can also book parties at the original Cork and Carry in Beverly. Go to corkandcarryatthepark.com or corkandcarrybeverly.com for more details. Cork and Carry at the park at the corner of 33rd and Princeton, right near the park. We'll see you there. Joining me on the phone line right now, he writes for Yahoo Sports. He's a BBWAA member. He's been on the program before, and he's a good friend of the show. Chris Zwick, how are you, Chris? I'm doing pretty well. Uh, I am gearing up for baseball, and I'm excited to uh, see camps open here and then to hopefully see some games soon. You know, let's let's talk first about spring training because everybody's reporting now. What can a team like the White Sox glean early on in spring training that they don't already know? Because where where it was the last couple of years, guys were openly competing for spots with the exception of a couple of bench spots, maybe, it seems like they already have an idea as to who they're breaking camp with. Like, there doesn't even seem to be a question that they're most likely keeping Nick Mandrigal down. I mean, so so what What do you think is actually something they're looking for in spring training as you, as you look at this team? I would say generally it's going to be how guys have bounced back from injury who are, you know, ready to, to be there in spring. So, I don't know the exact plan for, for Kopech. Um, I don't know if they're going to have him throw in games. I don't know if they're going to be really cautious and hold him back. I I assume that we probably won't see him much um, just with the thinking that they'll kind of delay the start of his season so they'll have him at the end of the season. Um, I think with Madrigal, it's, it's a matter of how he handles spring pitching. I think, like you said, there's not really a scenario where where they'll bring him up, or at least I would be shocked if they brought him up immediately uh, unless he signed an extension. So I think it's gauging his at-bats, how he does, his performance, uh, just so that they know in a few weeks when they bring him up if, if they should be ready for him to hit the ground running or whether there'll be an adjustment period. And then I think it's it's just kind of gauging the rest of the younger guys. Has Zach Collins made any progress? Um, I know Danny Mendick had a, a nice September. Is he a guy who, you know, has maybe turned a corner or is, is he just kind of the organizational type guy who you just kind of plug in and, and wait a few weeks? So let's, let's get back to the right at the beginning of that. Cause it's something kind of, it struck me. Because uh, you're a big numbers guy, Chris, and you know you were with mm-hmm. Fangraphs for a while, and 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 you, you talk about the fact that like, well, unless Madrigal signs an extension, a lot of people that I talk to are surprised that that's even like a worry. It's not like, and and correct me if I'm wrong here, because I'd love to get your take on this. When you look at guys that they want to 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 cinch up, they make sure that they have all the control possible. You know, Eloy Jimenez and Luis Robert. These are big hitting. These are going to be high OPS guys. These are going to be the guys that are going to be looking for the big bucks when they finally 
are no longer under control. Mandrigal doesn't seem like a guy who's going to hit more than 10 home runs. He doesn't seem like he's the guy that's going to be commanding this massive salary. Is it just you always want to have control, or can a guy like that still, can you sit there and say, you know what, I don't know if he's going to break the bank in six years, so why are we worried about those extra couple of weeks? Right. Well, first off, I should say I'm I'm totally for them bringing him up on opening day. I'm, I'm generally against service time manipulation, so I think he's probably already their best second baseman. They should start him. But to answer your question, um, it's a little bit of both. I, I think it's, it's, um, with, with Madrigal, yes, you, you want the years of control just in case he winds up being better than the Sox expect or taking that leap forward and really turning into uh, a superstar type caliber player. I think the other side of that is while he's not a slugger right now, or, or maybe he never will be. Um, he's he's a divisive prospect because he's he doesn't he's not a, a, a traditional power guy he's not necessarily a patience guy he's a guy who relies on making contact hitting for a high average uh, and not striking out so there the, the track record for those guys it kind of varies right I think a, a guy a lot of stat people really liked last year was. Um, Williams Astadio of of the Twins, and while he still showed those same skills in the majors last year, the Twins really didn't see him as a full time guy. I think on the other side of that, what the Sox and, and what Sox fans are hoping for is that Madrigal is less of that and more develops into uh, Dustin Pedroia type, who early on in his career mostly hit for average, if I can recall. And then eventually blossomed into a guy who could hit 20 home runs per season. So he's going to be really interesting. I just think you, you don't see many prospects with, with his exact skill set. As you look at this team, one of the guys that I think it's a, it's a very interesting and intriguing storyline for me is Tim Anderson. Because Tim Anderson starts, he just starts hitting the cover off the ball basically last year. He wins the batting title. And something before last year that we used to say on this show all the time was he's going to have to become a great hitter or his defense has to get better. And where his defense is not caught up or done, what, and there are times where you sit there and you scratch your head at what he's doing at shortstop. He made up for it with the bat. Now he's got a Dallas Keuchel who comes in who induces a ton of ground balls. He's going to have to be back there with that glove. Can he sustain what he did hitting wise to make up for the gaffes, or does he have to continue to improve defensively for him to be just the cornerstone that the White Sox want him to be over there? So I, I don't expect him to hit like he did last year. I think just looking at the numbers, uh, he had a, a batting average on balls in play near 400. Um, that doesn't happen. I mean, even Ichiro, one of the guys who could sustain a really high BABIP, could not sustain that level. So I would fully expect the the average to come down, um, which probably shouldn't be a surprise to to most Sox fans. And and so what are you left with there, right? You're hoping that the strides he made last year were enough that he can still hit in the high twos. Um, And and maybe you hope that he rediscovers the the walk rate that he showed in 2018. I kind of doubt it because getting more aggressive led to the success last year. Um, But we at least know that that's, 
in his tank. He, he can walk 5% of the time, which is generally not a lot, but he can do it. As far as defense, I think that would go a long way toward making him uh, a more consistent three to four win player. And I, I think the tools are there, right? I mean, I think he shows, he still shows pretty good range. I think it's there. I think he can still grow into an average to above average shortstop. You know, he, he's got, he's clearly still has some things to work through. So that, that would go a long way to making him, you know, repeat the season value-wise, especially if you expect the batting numbers to drop off. Let's talk real quick about one of the new rules that's happening in baseball. I know they're trying out different things, too, in spring training and in the minors, and it's it's a big change for some people. Th- this idea that a pitcher comes in and he's got to face three guys or at least finish the inning. Does, you know, the little caveat at the end, or at least finish the inning, kind of means that if you can get through the first two batters, you hope that that left-handed specialist comes in and actually does his job. If he doesn't, now it gets a little tricky because you got to leave him out there for two more batters. It, do you think that, one, the loogie is dead because of this rule, or is it just he'll be used in different circumstances? And, two, how, how does this affect teams overall? Like, what, what do you expect to see from this? Because I don't think it's going to speed up the game that much, but it may change the way that, that games occur in the later innings. I agree, and I feel like we have to see at least some decline in loogie usage moving forward. I'm sure that there will be a couple guys, and I think part of what I find interesting about it is, you know, in previous years, there hasn't been a lot of development with those guys when they've had to face opposite-handed pitching. So are coaches going to come up with new strategies for these guys? Are we going to see a traditional loogie try out a new pitch just to just as like a, I need something against righties. So uh, let's, let's figure this out and maybe I'll start dropping a curveball in there once in a while. Uh, Chris, you cover a lot of things nationally and I'm curious for a national take here because, you know, we're sitting here in Chicago and, you know, first of all, we've got our team that we're hyped up about. And then we just kind of read what's going on the rest of the league. This whole thing that happened with the Astros, is this something that we're going to see other teams getting exposed for doing something? Do you think this was just them and the Red Sox and the whole Cora thing? Or do you think that as the season goes on or the next couple of years, we're going to learn that a lot of teams were doing the same thing they were doing and they just got caught? So I, I feel like it would not be shocking if other teams were engaging in somewhat similar methods of, of sign stealing. I don't want to say that other teams were maybe as overt about it. But I also think it's going to get harder to expose those teams at this point because based on the penalties we've seen from Major League Baseball, based on some of the stuff that's leaked since those penalties went down, it, it definitely seems like the, the league is hesitant to, to let the extent of that all come out. And so I feel like the league in general is is hesitant to suddenly expose you know all these other teams and open up to, to fans that maybe a lot of these games we've watched the last few seasons have been tainted. I think they're just, they don't want that to come out. The, the league doesn't want that to come out. And so I think unless you have a, a whistleblower situation like we did with the Astros, uh, it would be hard for me to envision anything on par with either what the Astros or Red Sox have done coming out um, at least in the next 
two seasons, maybe we'll, we'll I'll give it a, a two year grace period. And then all bets could be off at that point. All right. Before I get you out of here, I got to know what, what do you think? The, I think the over under in most places is about 84 wins for the white Sox. higher, lower and why? Well, I, I think your listeners will be happy because I, I think I'm going to go higher. Um, I don't want to spoil too much, but I may be writing something about where I have the white Sox projected this year. So I guess I, I can tease that now and you can look for that in a few weeks on, on Yahoo sports. I think generally the, the core has come to the majors or is the rest of it is very close to reaching the majors. If they're going to take that step forward, it certainly could happen as soon as this year. And so I think you look around the scape of baseball in the last few seasons uh, a lot of those surprise teams happened because young guys outperformed what we thought. So I think when you look at it that way, it's, you know, the White Sox have that, have those pieces in place. I think you could argue that the Blue Jays might be in that group. And there's another team, which now I can't remember, uh, the Padres. But I feel like the White Sox of those three have the easiest path to a division title. So I, I almost, I, I want to make them my surprise team. I want to make them my breakout team uh and i may just do that so you you've gotten uh you've gotten me to to reveal a little too much but <laughs> i just i just sat here quietly and let you just reveal it now now you, you've right. put everybody on the hype train now listening to sacks in the basement chris i'll i'll, I'll be honest i don't know that i 100 believe it but i think <laughs> if i'm going to have fun with my predictions and try to pick a breakout team uh they make the most sense to me that's awesome chris Zwick. Yahoo Sports, BBWAA. I appreciate it whenever you stop by the show, and uh, I look forward to a, a great season. And one of these days, since you're here in Chicago, we're going to have to bump into each other at the ballpark. I'll get you a beer, okay? <laughs> Sounds good to me, and uh, hopefully none of your, your listeners will, uh, will spoil that. But uh, look for that in a few weeks. I, I, I'll be happy uh, if you check it out. I want to let you know and let everybody else know. I had a conversation with Don Paul this week. Don Paul, yeah, ex White Sox, uh, ex White Sox reliever, the Pope, the Pope Don Paul, the Pope Don Paul, circa, and, circa. When was he around? Like well, this is 90s, late nineties. Part of the good yeah. guys wear black, if I'm not mistaken. He okay, was, so yeah. late nine. Okay, yeah. Okay. So Don is from Evergreen Park, which is where the bar is where we do the show. And so I saw Don at Sox Fest. I introduced myself. And I actually had him come on the Evergreen Park podcast that I do. I do one just for Evergreen Park. And so if you're interested in stories about Don Paul as a child, search out the EP podcast, EP for Evergreen Park. So search out the EP podcast and check out Don Paul this week. We, on need, to, it. we need to get him on this podcast. The name, of, the name of the show is entitled The Pope of Evergreen Park. We need to get him in here, man. I, he said he would come in here. Okay. He said he would, okay. The thing was, I was hoping to get Don down here at the actual bar. You know, he's a local guy, right? So I'm thinking about oh, trying. Oh, so you actually so I was like, I get him on the phone for the for the for the Evergreen Park one, so he knows I'm not a serial killer. Oh, okay. Make him feel so he wasn't actually get him over here. Then, then we tie him up in the basement. He he wasn't actually down here for the Evergreen no, no, Park I'm one. Okay. To lure I'm down. sorry. I'm just trying to get the. I'm trying to get the. the I'm trying to get the <laughs> picture painted for me here. The part of you tying him up and and. You know, putting him in the crawl space down here is not a mental picture. Right next I to Ron Kittle. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. 
Socks in the Basement. Socks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found. And always on SocksInTheBasement.com.